So this evening's uh, Dharma talk, because I couldn't think of what to talk about, titled uh, Mountains and Rivers 3. So Mountains and Rivers just means that I'm going to sit here and you guys can ask questions other than financial. Well, I won't answer those, but I will try to answer other ones. And it was really helpful because I'm sometimes by doing it this way, we start in going right into the very thing that you're wondering about or curious about or something. So questions are very helpful to everyone and especially to me. Do so, we know where consciousness comes from? So it, it tends to have a, you know, depending on when it's uh, tied in with one of the sense fields, then we have a feeling that it's arriving or departing or something like that. But consciousness itself, it doesn't actually have an identity in consciousness. And uh, from the way it looks, so this is the way it looks. I have no proof. Uh, doesn't belong to anyone and has no location. And to some extent, and to every extent, it is it doesn't have need of, of existence the way a physical form does. So it is together with it, it's with it, but it's not the same as that. Further question about that, Michelle? How does permission work when we ask a question? How do you know how deep we can go with a question and answer? You mean like some of those ridiculous questions you asked me? No. You go ahead and I'll stop you. I think it's too silly. So I, I, I don't know. I think there's some kind of a standard or anything. We, if you start doing that, then everybody starts looking for right and wrong and up and down, back and forth. And it's just a, there's enough of that in the world to already to slow us down. So just trust yourself. Don't believe your thoughts. That's not trust. What is trust? Good question. Thank you. <laughs> trust is whatever is arising. Don't trust what arises. But if you're going, if you need that relative kind of thing, I just have to, like I say, trust yourself. I say, trust the space in which everything occurs. The space in which things occur doesn't do anything but just accommodate. It's the most generous form of uh, hospitality there is. Whatever arises, just be a good host, hostess, hoster. Did I finish my answer? Do you have a question? Of all the precepts, which is the most important? Well, I think people might take exception in some areas, but I would say be with all things. The Bodhisattva vow. It's difficult to do that without refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, refuge in the Sangha. So all of them will come together. But I think being with all things, the last of the three pure precepts. If you're with all things, then you're not at war, so you can't do any harm. Uh, if you're with all things, then you're you're supporting what's, whatever is arising insofar as it needs your help. But you're not you're, because you're clear about what you're seeing. You're not you're not hoodwinked by propaganda. You see it, and, and what follows the propaganda that you see is not judgment. It's just you just see it. You don't need to judge something that's obviously um, difficult or confusing or harmful to people. Don't have to do anything with it at all. Just don't fuel it. So, what is the function of a precept? Uh, to give you a hard time. To give you something to conceptually, because the ego mind is constantly, constantly using uh, various forms, structures of concepts, thinking, pushing, pulling, evaluating, judging, condemning, Looking away, sorting out, finding things here, grabbing those things, throw them away, elevate the other things. It's just a, it's a Coney Island of the mind. It's a three-ring circus. And one of those other metaphors, round and around, here we go this way, here we go that way. 
So the precept is something that takes has the nature of uh, of uh, discursive thought, thinking, evaluating, judging, and it goes in because it comes out of awareness, out of uh, uh, Buddha nature, out of the Buddha, out of the Buddhist teachings, comes in and takes that situation, like um, the three uh, uh, the three jewels, refuge in the Buddha as the example of someone who's sane, refuge in the Dharma as the truth that the Buddha taught. Everything is dependently arisen. There are no two things anywhere. And refuge in the Sangha, or the community of people who are trying to cooperate, trying to or trying to communicate, trying to cooperate, trying to collaborate together without stepping on each other's toes, literally. So, but probably be with all things because that covers everything. You're not for anything. You're not against anything. You're not certainly not looking, looking away or ignoring anything. And you could say, well, what if something really bad happens? Shouldn't you stop or step into it? Or shouldn't you interfere? Or shouldn't you join something that's really a good, uplifting, quality, uh, highfalutin movement? Let it falute for a while. Give it some time. Don't do anything else you have to do. Join nothing. Don't join this. There's nothing to join here. There's no membership. People who are ordained or wearing a rock suit have not joined anything. Sometimes it's taught that way. Welcome to the family of the Buddha and so on like that. But there isn't anybody. There isn't a family of, of awakening. Shoto. It's not joining something. What's the metaphor using this as glue? Refuge. It's, it's you. You're taking refuge in your Buddha nature. This looks like something else. It's your Buddha nature. You're the one who needs to, to awaken. It looks like there's lots of people, doesn't it? Looks like there's some smart people. Me. <laughs> some dumb people. You. <laughs> You're welcome. So, no, I'm just saying that it looks like there's this and that. There's up and on, back and forth, right and wrong. We're flooded with it all the time. And highly erudite, highly intelligent, highly competent, educated people are using those kinds of, it's correct, it's incorrect, and, and arguing with each other and and trying to come to some kind of a conclusion sometimes of what, what is this about? What is going on? Who who should we blame or who should we credit or, or what should we do and so on? There's way too much looking for something to conclude rather than looking for something that's fundamentally the truth. If you're looking for conclusions, you're going to cover up the truth. This is what a conclusion does. No more investigation. It's a highly polished form of ignorance. This doesn't mean you can't conclude, but the conclusion should come out to be in order to be balanced, in order to be about communication, about equanimity. It should come out of your insight into the situation. If it's coming out of your insight into the situation, then it's uh, choiceless. You just you see. You've been looking at the polarity for long enough without without weighing them. You're just looking at it, and then you you see what needs to be uh, uh, fueled or helped or supported, and you see what needs to be uh, discarded or kicked off the porch. So that kind of, that kind of aggression is not exactly uh, plus and minus or I hate that kind of aggression or going against or going to war. It's uh, uh, It may not even show up as with uh, as much energy at all. It just may be uh, removing the fuel, the fuel source of the negativity that you're seeing. Yes. Some things that reminded me of book studying, you talk about how it's not to understand anything. If we notice that we might relatively have a better grip on concepts, yeah. should we endeavor to understand less? No. That's only the. That's only to. So the, the important thing about book study or any kind of study <clears throat> is that you do it, not that you have a certain kind of conclusion. That's a different kind of. That's why they give people tests to force you to to think in a linear way, because that's the only thing they can measure. Can't measure. The only way they can. The only way they presume to measure high intelligence or genius outside of that is something that you do that other people can't do. Yes. Thinking of my job, like I'm basically training people to do that, to take those yes. tests. Is there a way to bring in this, the, the other kind of understanding into that situation? You do it. 
teach no one. Don't teach unless you have to. Don't teach unless you're absolutely, it's choiceless, you have to teach. Teach mundane knowledge, of course. And then as you work, as you practice, that will start to come through effortlessly. And uh, people won't even know they're receiving that kind of a teaching. It doesn't make you some kind of magical wizard or something. I'm not going to give you that credit. But your, but your own understanding, your own equanimity, your own sense of balance and you could say fairness about things will start to show up without you even trying to be fair or trying to live up to a philosophy or psychology or just being with all things. When, you're, when you have a student, you're just, you're just with them. They need to learn certain things so that they can operate and function in the world of uh, materialism, which is what this world is mainly. <clears throat> help them. Help people where they're at. Meet people where they're at. Somebody needs a shoe, get them a shoe. Don't get them two shoes. It's too much. You're assuming they don't already have another shoe. And for sure, don't get a. If they ask for a shoe, don't teach them how to meditate. They didn't ask you that. Was that funny? No, it was very. So what I'm saying there is you can't really fundamentally help somebody who's, who's very confused, having a difficult time with their life or whatever is going on with them, who are not practitioners, are not meditators, not interested in training your minds in any way. If you don't first respect their confusion, you have to be respectful of people's confusion, not immediately start pointing it out to them. That's their discovery to find that out, not yours. Did you? How do we observe the first brave precept of don't kill, particularly uh, in relation to our diet? So, as I've said, from the time I first started teaching, you're going to have to kill something if you're going to live. And the selectivity about that some people do about say, well, I'm only going to kill things that have eyes. This is just, uh, what's that word, Sanskrit word, bullshit? Yeah, I think that works pretty good. It's bullshit. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that it's a, a misunderstanding of dependent origination. It's, it's just a misunderstanding. It's very difficult to understand Pratitya uh, Samutpada, dependent, that nothing comes of its own side as a separate thing. We are not disconnected from anything anywhere. And I sometimes relatively say, how do you think a celery feels when they hear you say that? It starts to, do I have eyes? Yeah, I have eyes, but you can't find them because the eyes of celery are everywhere. And I'm not just being romantic about it. More? It seems like there are a lot of ideas and theories that are very convincing yes how can we does observing <clears throat> that precept look like just looking at those theories so there's a reason we say observe the precepts the reason my my zen master said you don't uh, take precepts you observe them you don't obey precepts this is not theism it's a it's a, an ancient practice of awareness. So you need to, um, however that precept arises for you, no taking life precept, not to interrupt the mandal of the present moment. There's no taking life precept, but you have to see the mandal of the present moment because if it's only your perception of uh, the mandal of the present moment, you're going to think some things are worth more than other things. And you're going to think you can abuse this thing, but not this thing. This is a misunderstanding and it's rampant. When I say it's rampant, it means it's ramping around. A lot of it. Everybody's got it. Some people got more than other others. More. How can we actually observe without using the concept of observing to uh, let ourselves off the hook? What's the hook? I'm not sure what I'm following let ourselves off the hook. If we say... Oh, so no. Let me interrupt you again. 
finish your question. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, if I say, well, I'm going to eat meat, but I'm observing that I'm eating meat. It seems like there can be a, a sticky situation where I'm giving myself permission or I'm giving myself permission to look away. Basically. Don't chatter about it. Don't justify anything. This, this is what justification is. You're covering up what you're actually doing so you don't have to be responsible for what you're doing. But you have to be responsible for the entire situation, entire situation. That means don't just believe. You never ask. I say this constantly over and over again. There's nothing to believe here. If you're believing Buddhism, then you're not practicing Buddhism. And I'm not saying there aren't possibly millions of people who believe Buddhism. It's just a misunderstanding. Nothing here to believe. Go ahead. Uh, you, you brought up, I don't know if it's Coben's translation but to not interrupt the mandala of the present moment and you said we have to see the present moment or the mandala you have to see the mandala how do we see that you see how you keep interrupting it to start with and people will separate this out because they don't want to hear it this way they'd rather hear it in a way that they can control it and uh, trying to stop your thought patterns is killing your thoughts thoughts are just like living beings you just have a different dynamic than something with that's breathing. Do the relative structures of precepts ever drop away? Give me a, an example of where your question is coming from. Let's just use the, the diet as the example if we're looking at a particular structure that we're relating to of what's harmful or what's helpful. Does that ever cease to function in that way? Damn, I know. Maybe. It certainly hasn't stopped over here. So what's the awareness of no taking life. Well, don't if, if you if you can help it, don't kill anything. Don't interrupt anything, and don't interrupt. But also, don't interrupt other people's uh, uh, insanity, because things are dependently arisen. So, someone's apparent existence is dependent on lots of things that are totally invisible tributary stream flowing in the darkness. We can't even see our own situation yet. We're, we're so ready quite often to jump into somebody else's life and give them advice on something. And so I would say, don't, don't do that. On the other hand, if you're asked, someone asks you about it, then you have, might have some permission to make a, make a suggestion to that person. It's very difficult to to work with that and not fall into right and wrong. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's doing it right? Who's doing it wrong? What they, these people should clean up their act and, and judge others and so on. Well, Can you have a, a structure that you function out of without going into the right or wrong? That's what the precepts are about. The way I understand them and the way I teach them. You have to look at the polarities, but but the polarities don't they get their meaning from each other. You can't have death without life. You can't have life without death. But quite often the the what was, what was sometimes called senseless murder, as if there's murder that makes sense, uh, of, of people that comes out of intense hatred and ignorance. And quite often the hatred is, is about oneself that one projects out on the world and hates others. Quite often called prejudice. We hate, just hate. Anytime any negative feeling comes up, it's it, in order to get rid of that feeling, we put it out there and then accuse and, and try to get others to join in. And if we have a powerful charisma, personality, or whatever, we might be able to sway a lot of people, take whole nations to war. It's just been going on and on and on. Just 
just the history of, as far as it goes back, it's just war after war after war. War and peace, war and peace. I say don't go to war, don't go to peace. Don't do either one. Don't do anything. Sit down in our situation, sit down, hold still, train your mind, see see that, well, that polarity happen and see that you're not separate from it. What is the difference between going to right or wrong and not doing harm? Say more. Well, one of the other precepts is don't do harm. So how do we determine what's harmful? And doesn't that fall into the category of um, right and wrong So I, I don't, you know, there, you can't help but look at some kind of a standard, but just don't set them up. They'll track you down if they need you, and you'll it'll start to show up in your awareness about, well, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. Fire's hot, water's wet. Wind moves, earth is hard. And there's some things that are not opinions. And so that kind of, a, of an understanding. So... A way that the way that I often talk about it is don't don't interfere with others and whatever they're doing, whatever's happening, without their permission. They tell you what they do, then stay with them, communicate with them, and cooperate. Not cooperate to you know help me kill my mother, kind of thing. Don't cooperate to that extent. More, there's a lot of room, is, is, lot of room it, there. is it possible to know ahead of time whether we're causing harm? I don't, I don't think you're going to get a, a, some kind of an operator's manual for that. The causes and conditions are so complicated. And this is why the thought patterns that arise in the mind tend to reify, reinforce the self-centeredness and we're... we're magnetize into taking this track or that track or stopping this or starting this. We want to manipulate things. This is why sitting down facing a wall is so valuable because over time, we watch that mechanism work over and over and over without doing anything with it. That's why it seems to be necessary to have a teaching person help you because each person, every person I talk to is, is working with their difficulty or their confusion or their misunderstanding or their, or their just out and out suffering in a totally different way. It's like every time I meet somebody, you know, I don't see it quite that way. I'm not seeing it quite like that. Important to meet people and help them. And how do you help them? Maybe all you can do is just be with them. Maybe they're not really ready to hear anything else. And if you're clear, you'll you'll be there with that. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're clear about what's happening with you, there's no longer any internal skirmishes going on. Or if they are, they're not believed in. But sometimes you can't stop skirmishes that are coming out of the ancient past. Sometimes there are things that you brought into this lifetime because of causes and conditions. And uh, you might never, you never can, can necessarily meditate them away. But if you have a, a deep understanding of what this is, you don't care if they're there or not. Because you're no longer differentiating between what happens in here and what happens out there. The quality of sameness and difference, sandokai. It's both different and it's the same. And the ego mind, uh, by that kind of understanding, is not, it can't get any nourishment from that kind of understanding. And it starts to freak out. And people who run into that uh, uh, conventionally, just because of causes and conditions, suddenly stumble into reality, shall we say, or no separation, immediately go to a psychiatrist or a doctor or a therapist or need medication because the intensity is so powerful. Because ego is so threatened and we think we are somebody. But one who is clear, uh, threats come and go all the time, all day long. They just don't happen to a person. There's no one who's threatened. The threat can come. All the doors are open. All the windows are open. They come in hang out, look for somebody, can't find anybody, and they go somewhere else. And sometimes they're, they're the one that's sitting right next to you, just coming from them. 
Shut up. How do we interrupt the monologue of the present moment? Well, there's probably lots of ways of doing it. The simple way is uh, trying to trying to change who you are into somebody else, not willing to be genuine, which is, can be misunderstood as, well, I just got to be me. Uh, I need to blow my stack and throw dishes across the room. You know, some kind of validation of your anger, validation of, of your grasping, your passion, or validation of your ignoring, turning away the three poisons. The present moment is just very simple, ordinary, and flat, beige, unless it turns bright red. And then it gets all jagged around the edges, growls at you. Is that helpful? Apparently not. Go oh, ahead. Yeah. It's really confusing trying to look Good. at that with dependent origination, it seems like. Dependent origination is a description of uh, of uh, parathantra or the of the of the way things are basically before anything is said, before anything is added onto it, before anything is imputed, before any anything is even named. It's just a fundamental situation, and probably in ancient 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 times, uh, people didn't feel separate from anything. Even there's some uh, stories in the in indigenous people of this country and other countries, countries didn't, they looked at the world uh, as, as being a part of them rather than they're individuals who can just do anything they want on the land or the trees or the animals. I wasn't there, at least I don't remember being there, but um, that's how it looks. How can we perceive consciousness in celery? You don't have to. Can't even perceive consciousness uh, uh, in uh, uh, um, uh, Danny. She's your wife. Did you ever notice him perceiving your consciousness? <laughs> Would you like to perceive your consciousness once in a while? So what, what's showing up there is there's a presumption about what consciousness is, and we don't really know. Science wants to go in and say what it is, and they'll point to the little, little flashes of light in your brain. These are the synapses. As soon as they give it a name, they're like, ah, we got something here. And then this happens here. And if you poke a needle here, you suddenly remember the first carrot you ever ate. Whew, we're making progress. Now I'm going to put all that together. They're, they want a, a lot of um, materialistic, uh, a lot of any kind of a practice. Uh, quite often it's about getting control. Meditation is not uh, free from that, trying to get control. I teach it the other way around. The only control you need is get your butt into the zendo, into the meditation room, in front of a wall, sit down and hold still. There's your control. Good enough. And then from there on, whatever is happening, just watch it come and go and don't move. And over time, maybe a long time, you will begin to see the nature of your mind, the nature of dependent origination, and the nature of uh, uh, the five skandhas, the form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness, or memory and consciousness. You'll be able to see how that functions to get together to say me. And when you see it fall apart, you, you still have a form. You still have perception. You still have feeling. You still have concepts or thinking. You still have the six sense fields and their objects but they don't get together and make an individual, even though there's a singular, apparent singular uh, organism here called a human being. So consciousness is, you could say, is we're born like, like what happened to Rumi. He was doing just fine and suddenly he was born. Look at the look on his face, not happy. <laughs> Except sometimes he gets happy. So he's, it's just a way of talking about it. I don't know how the hell it works. I mean, I, I don't think anyone knows like, oh, here's how consciousness works. There are a lot of people speculating on it. But it looks like it's, uh, to use the uh, con contemporary metaphor for uh, downloading, it looks like consciousness downloads into a human being, into a form. And from the exploration we've done in deep consciousness, uh, it looks like it can happen right away. It looks like the, so a baby could be born before the consciousness enters. Sometimes in the West called a soul, uh, called a, 
we would call it consciousness only, or we would call it Buddha nature. And that may need to go through some karmic uh, um, tribulation before there's a basic understanding of one's true nature. How can we respect an origination when we don't see equanimity when things look different? Just, just continue. I mean, you are just you can describe it that way. Uh, tells me, as the person you're asking the question of, the way that you're already looking at it, and so it's like the way that the question appears to me is that you're on the side of a of a mountain. It's covered with snow. Uh, you have your skis on backwards. Remember that? No. If your skis on backwards and you're about halfway up and you turn around and say, with the same kind of uh, uh, tone of voice, how do I how do I get to the top of the mountain? I'd say, turn your skis around and then ski uphill. <laughs> Follow that metaphor. It's a powerful metaphor. It's very seldom I'm that, I'm that creative or forgetful. <laughs> Other questions? Jessica. What does it look like to see people's confusion and Buddha nature at the same time? Uh, uh, looks like they're not separate. It doesn't look like two different things. And also seeing that one doesn't feel like necessarily uh, feel like they're that they're fundamentally separate from you or separate from anything else. So seeing no separation is not an experience. And you can be in the midst of that kind of understanding, that kind of wisdom and still be uh, a mess. I mean, still be having a terrible difficulty and suffering. And if the, unless there's been some mind training, we tend to grasp onto that suffering and evaluate ourselves out of, out of just like a knee-jerk reaction. I'm just doing terrible. This must be doing something wrong. I need to stop meditating. I need to go back and see my therapist. Uh, I'm not going to talk to that meditation teacher anymore. Or I need to sit longer. I need to sit with my eyes closed. I need to, I need to, which constantly shopping for something. So you might be able to you might be having tremendous insight right in the middle of confusion. And that's even more confusing to have the insight at the same time, you know, you're, you're not thinking clearly or you're thinking uh, aggressively or, or, or uh, with uh, one of the three uh, poisons or the five uh, clases, greed or avarice or something is coming up in the midst of this clarity. So th this, the message there is that is telling you it literally the exact not two good and evil are not two life and death are not two they are also not one that's why it's because you can't go in there with some kind of a logical situation although the ex existentialists in uh, well, germany and france tried to do that a century ago what they wrote was pretty cool but it wasn't uh what the Buddha saw 2,500 years ago. Yes. Send you. If you realize that yes. who you are can't be threatened, mm -hmm. does the feeling of being threatened go away? Not necessarily, but there's no one to be threatened. So you still may have the fear of that, but it can't find a, it can't, there's no Velcro there anymore. So we all know what it's like to have a fear come up and think, I don't want to, I want to get, I don't want that. I, I'm, I, I want to get rid of that. I, I'm going to go to bed or I'm going to sleep. I'm going to. Uh, take some meds or what all the different ways, you know, go, I'm going to go out and jog and see if I can run it off, exercise it away. I mean, there's so many different things. And what is being said from this point of view is don't do anything with it, but look at it. 
Look at it with all of your senses. Smell it, hear it, taste it, touch it. Be, be with that. Be with all things. And this is your opportunity when that arises. If you're going to help others, then you need to work with your own passion, aggression, your own fear uh, directly. And uh, you could say boldly. Otherwise, when other people come to you with their, with their uh, shelf of spoiled food, you know, you'll, you'll know what to do. You'll know how to help them as they, where they are rather than come up with some kind of dumb formulas about this or that or the other thing. And you being a, a therapist, um, this is why it's so important for you to make time to, to train your mind to sit down, look at the wall as much as you can and join study, um, study groups. Further question about that? Good question. Fundamentally, it's hard to help anyone else, and it's either even harder to not interfere with anybody else and make things worse. But if you can just be with somebody without making things worse for them, then that's, uh, what's that? Do no harm. Uh, don't do bad things. It's one of the precepts. I can't remember which one. Yes. Uh, Jim Johnson from, from Muskegon has Jim. a two-part question. He says, uh, or asks, seeing the seemingly cyclical nature of history and becoming aware that events seem to point to a rising suffering, is wanting to stop that suffering interrupting the mandala of the present moment? Not necessarily. Wanting, wanting to stop it is just, just thoughts about it just surviving. But turning that into... Uh, uh, you know, jumping into your jogging pants and heading out to with your your protest sign or with whatever it may be uh, that that could be extra, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. If someone is doing training your mind and is clear, I've I've had people uh, uh, that I've worked with. It's been a while, but I've had people I've worked with that said I can't come to I can't come to the 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 meditation uh, or the Dharma talk today uh, because I, I have to go, I have to go uh, uh, protest fracking <clears throat> in a particular city. I have to do that. I'm totally in, in favor of that. There's no, I would say certainly. And that, that would show up in any, any direction. If somebody knows they need to do something, it really doesn't matter too much if it's based on some kind of clamping down or because it's not about changing your behavior, my friends. It is about being aware of it. Now, I'm not saying he was completely aware of what he was doing, but it would have made it more difficult for him, for me to come and say, well, you know, you really would do better to sit and face the wall and save all beings by facing the wall, feed him that kind of baloney. He wasn't ready for that. It's not that that doesn't save all beings, but it doesn't do that if there's some kind of forced feeding happening where you're making yourself do this. Bodhisattva vow is not... Uh, some kind of forced march. So in my situation, my understanding is I have no idea what kind of karma, what, what that, that man, I can't think of his name now, what he was dealing with that brought him into, even in front of uh, this situation, of the teaching situation, or took him out because he had to go and protest that they're... Uh, the greedy people are destroying the planet. I, I think about <laughs> such a terrible situation. I think about doing things all the time that are other than what we're doing here. And I may. Sometime I don't show up, I'll leave you a note. But I won't necessarily try to mobilize you to do it. What do I mobilize you to do? Nothing. Train your mind. It's the main teaching from this old man. Sit down, hold still, find out who you are before the body mind goes back into the into into the earth, into the water, into the fire, into the air, into the space, into consciousness. Find out before this goes back into the elements. Karan. Does it matter if you find out before it goes back into the elements? Um, the way you're asking the question, I would say not really. The way you're asking the question doesn't matter. The mattering part is that's kind of a politics of experience. We don't need that. It's like if someone comes to me and says, you know, I don't really, I see what you're saying, but I don't really want to train my mind. I would say, well, good luck. You know, it's a, go, you know, go ahead. 
what's the benefit of doing that before the body mind dissolves? So this is my way of understanding it, and then don't believe a word I say. You, you, since you're here, so you might as well listen. But when the body mind collapses, the you don't go anywhere because you're not a body. So, and then depending on the causes and conditions that brought you into this manifestation, into this limited realm, this low frequency realm called physical existence, uh, this is a journey that doesn't stop. It's never started because it's not a relative situation. You could call it your spirit. You could call it your consciousness. Your Buddha nature continues on some level in some way or shape or form, however you want to say that. It might not. You might never become a human being again. You might never come into this realm again. Death comes without warning. This body will be a corpse. At that time, the Dharma will be my only help. I must practice it. But it seems like the way you're framing it, that it's like a linear process. It's what? That it's like a linear process. Yeah, like, it's not. I talk about it linear, but as soon as the body-mind drops, time vanishes, so to space. But if I say to you, uh, uh, if I say, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised. So that that space that 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 we we together, not just me, but together, we created that in a in a in a realm that is without time and space. There's a kind of space there, but it's not it's not this space. It's not this space, and there's a there is a, a kind of a time there, but it's not the time of here it is. Then time goes by, and now it's over here. That doesn't happen because it can be both places at once. It can be not there at all. It's like uh, 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 like a lucid dream. If you had a lucid dream, you notice that everything is very spongy in that area. It's like you can, you know, you can just about once you realize what that is. Uh, it might be things. <laughs> More. Well, that comes up. Yes. A question from Kozan up in Traverse City. Who's that? Oh. She's right there. I remember. Yeah, that's a tiger mountain. She asks, how can we be of benefit, cause no harm, and be with all things when we need to eat in a situation where living beings are commonly tortured in insane ways to provide food for profit? Don't torture them. And also be very careful of stepping into somebody else's territory. You cannot see the dependent origination that is behind those beings who are abusing animals. For you to step in there and try to end that like that is a misunderstanding of uh, uh, dependent origination. It's just a misunderstanding. It's not wrong. You're just misunderstanding the desire to help, the wish to save all beings, to, to see uh, um to uh, lessen the suffering of living beings is, is genuine. But how you go about that, be very careful. First, with your, work with your own suffering and make sure that you're not pushing that out onto the world and ending it out there instead of in yourself or seeing what it is here. Dependent origination is not biased. Human beings are the ones that come, come, come along and say, well, I don't eat anything that has eyes. This is just... What was that Sanskrit word? I forget. That's that's a way of actually uh, getting out of responsibility for what's right in front of you, which is uh, uh, incredibly uh, powerful uh, movement of, of uh, things that come into existence and pass out of existence. Billions and billions. Even Buddhism talks about endless worlds coming into existence for a little while and flashing out of existence. And uh, um, to, to separate out and try to make yourself some kind of special person is a misunderstanding. It's not wrong. It's just you may not be ready to have a deeper understanding that is completely responsible for everything. Everything. You're responsible for, you're responsible for everything I'm saying. doesn't mean you're to blame. doesn't mean you get credit. But you have to respond to it. You have to respond to what's what is happening out of your understanding. When you respond to it, don't add to it. It's wrong. Don't add to it. 
It's right. Don't add to it. Should be, shouldn't be. Any of the any of the additions on there, unless it comes out of the awareness. And how will you know it comes out of the awareness? Because you will be able to think without thinking. They won't they won't arise as your thoughts. They'll just arise. Jiuzan. What is responding if not an addition? So what you're referring to is when I say don't add? You just said to respond, but not to, to add. So when, I'm, when I say respond, I'm, how, how, you know, I don't know how else to do it other than, other than to say, just receive. Whatever's happening, if you, if you make a comment on it, you cover it up. If you, if you push on it, you cover it up. If you pull on it or explain it or do anything with it, you cover it up. If you distract yourself with it, you cover it up. Do nothing with it. Just respond to it. And the response is just observe. Just receive what's coming your way. The most powerful form of generosity, as I say over and over again, is give. And what do you give? Give everything your attention from now on. Don't miss anything. And that doesn't mean if you notice that you've missed anything, that you've, poss- you've, that you've missed that. If you notice you missed something, you haven't missed it. You can ask questions about that if you want. Or continue in, your, in the line you're in. It's about being responsible, not feeling some kind of power and control over yourself, or at least I'm, well, people will say, well, at least I'm willing to take responsibility for my actions, but that yard bird over there is always blaming everybody else. You know, it's a way of twisting everything. Out. That would be the extreme version of it. More? So what are we responsible for then? Everything. Because it's not separate. But as long as you separate yourself out of some individual person who can win as other people are losing, who can be smart as other people are not so smart, and, and se- keep separating yourself out of a division, uh, then, then, then the responsibility is not complete. It's more like uh, uh, a preference, buying into preferences. And it's not that we don't like uh, um, uh, sunshine over storm cloud. Of course we see that, but it's more of a contrast situation than, than something that's right or wrong or better or worse. I'm just using that because that's a fairly strong contrast that doesn't really have a, a good and evil context to it. And when somebody is, take it a little bit further, when somebody is attacking, going and hurting someone else, it's because they're trying, this is how they get rid of their suffering. Somebody's in suffering intensely. It depends on how, the, how that's wired up with causes and conditions in one's own karma, one's own life. Quite often, the one who's having the difficulties of Trump, one who's trying to attack someone else because they, they can't take, they're so unhappy, so miserable. And they've tried stuffing it. That doesn't work. So now it's down there bubbling away. And they, as soon as they find some kind of a trigger out here that triggers an area in them, I'm using a physical metaphor of some area that's never been investigated because they've stuffed it. They don't want to look at that. And it could be due to the way they were treated when they were three years old. It could be the way that they treated somebody else in the 13th century, not separate. And I don't believe or disbelieve in rebirth. I'm certainly not going to look away from it, but I don't, I wouldn't know what I believe there because it doesn't actually work in a, like you're saying, in a linear way. It's not linear. Uh, You can remember the future. Uh, according to Lewis Carroll, and through the looking glass. Who did he put those words in there? Who's, what character uh, said uh, it's a poor memory that doesn't remember in both directions? It doesn't remember the future. Nobody reads Lewis Carroll. Nobody remembers reading Lewis Carroll. <laughs> Further question? One more question, and we'll close. Yes. Um, what does it mean to create art in response to suffering? Well, it, it could be lots of things. Someone could be making things in order to just ignore some kind of difficulty that's probably going to sneak up on them uh, at three in the morning, you know, or at some other time or show up in another way. So it could be a way of, of shoving down or repressing the situation, or it could be a way of, uh, I think it would be so different with each person. Person could be making art and using the energy of that uh, of that difficulty 
be what's called uh, Trungpa Rinpoche called transmuting emotion into creativity. It's just energy, but that doesn't mean it doesn't feel like crap. But it's it's energy. Uh, any of you have interest? He has quite a few books on Dharma art. Mayun has a um, some. Who was it that gave Mayun uh, some uh, some Trungpa Rinpoche's uh, uh, Dharma art teachings? I don't know. Anyway, I know she has those. But so I think there's a whole series of CDs, and then of course there's regular books on Dharma art by Trungpa Rinpoche. And that might have you read any of those? No, you do that. Mm-hmm. One more. Chiazan says it's the queen in the in through the looking glass. Smartass. <laughs> <laughs> it's the queen. He is correct. It is. The queen. I get that to be the one that says he's correct. So, um, anyway, thank you, my friends. We'll stand and dedicate the merit at the back of our red chip books. I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes in the hallway. Also, we accept donations gladly through PayPal or your debit and credit card. We always appreciate, however, you can financially help us. Thank you. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering and fill them with love. 